So good morning. Any of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Wheezy. I'm one of the many, many pastors here at Summit Ridge. And hello to you online. Thank you for joining us. Um, You may notice on our thing here that the title that Dennis has up there is United to Christ, because I forgot to tell him that the title I'm using is Freedom in Christ. And that's all going to work out beautifully, because the reason we're free in Christ is because we're united to Christ. You're going to see how that works. It's really cool. But first, we're going, to, we're going to play bad news, good news. And when you play bad news, good news, which news do you start with? The bad news, of course. It's more fun that way. So human beings are slaves to sin. That's our birthright. That's the bad news. Now, what, what is sin? Well, obviously, if the command that God gives us is love God, love people, even yourself then love is the command. That's not sin. So sin is anything that's not love. I want to propose to you that one of the roots, maybe not the only root, but one of the big fat tap roots behind all the sins we struggle with is fear. It's not hate. Hate comes from fear. I think it's not even pride because I think that pride is really fueled by fear. Adam and Eve got sucker punched by Satan because Satan basically was telling them, God is not really trustworthy. He's not actually good. He's actually holding out on you. You can't really rely on God. You're going to need to take control of this situation yourselves. The lies that Satan tells Adam and Eve is God is not truly good. He's holding out on you. You can't trust him, and you need to take control of your own life. Do any of those lies sound familiar to you? Yeah, we've kind of all been sucker punched by those on occasion, right? But think about it. If Adam and Eve had actually trusted God's goodness, had really totally believed that God is all good and in him is no evil at all, they would have obeyed him. No problem. Or think about the prodigal sons. You've got one young son in Jesus' story who takes off to Vegas and lives the wild life because living at home with his father is stultifying him. And you've got the older son who works out in the field and is always walking on his lips pouting because his father just won't give him anything. And, you know, you've got these two sons. They are living as slaves to sin and fear, both of them are, because they don't trust their father's goodness. They believe that their father is stingy and controlling and life with him is drudgery. They function as slaves, as a runaway slave, one of them, and as a beaten up field hand, the other one. Some of the rotten lies we believe about God besides God is not truly actually good, is God is against me. Or that somehow I have to either avoid his attention, kind of sneak in under the radar because he missed me, or manage to please him with my performance, which is the birth of religion. Yay! (laughs) Or I need to take over control as God in my life. I don't know about you. I suspect many of you have had a similar thing. When I was like 13-ish, maybe, I kind of felt like God might be calling me to the mission field, but I didn't go because I figured if I give my life truly to God, he's going to screw it up. (laughs) 
he's going to send me to Borneo and I am not going to like it there. Yeah? Okay, because God is stingy and controlling and life with him is drudgery. Terrifying lies that Satan tells us about ourselves. Okay? In the end, I'm all alone. There's something wrong with me. I'm kind of damaged good. Do you notice how the laughter went away all of a sudden? Yeah, these hurt, don't they? I'm never going to be good enough. To know me is to dislike me. I could never get past what happened to me. Those are lies from Satan. Here's another problem that we have when we struggle with fear and sin. Because our flesh, our meat, our little meat sacks that we live in, are hardwired to survive. That's their job. So our body fears death. It fears physical death. You know, if the lion chases you, you're going to run. But because we are hardwired to live in community, we also fear psychological death and social death. They're just as real to us. And Satan uses these fears to lead us into all kinds of sins against ourselves and against each other. Think about the physical stuff, the sins that we do to avoid physical death. You got to get stuff. You got to have lots of stuff. And above all, you need power. You need power to get stuff and power to make other people be nice to you and stay in your social circle and where you can control them. And you got to get pleasure because death is coming for you, so you got to have some. Think about the sins we indulge in to avoid social death. Think about the way we manipulate and exploit and control and lie and cheat and steal and bully and get lots and lots of approval any way we can because we fear that social death. Or think about the sins we indulge in to avoid psychological pain, any pain or discomfort, even boredom. The memory of pain or discomfort, we have to do things to avoid that. We have to numb ourselves and withdraw from each other and refuse to love because, you know, if you love somebody, you might lose them. In fact, you probably will lose them, so you can't. This is the bad news. Sin is failing to love God and love people. Uh, In in the Greek, the word sin is actually translated to miss the mark. I know you've all heard this before. It's an archery term when you shoot and you miss. So what mark are we missing? Well, we're all old enough to know the old song, looking for love in all the wrong places. Remember that one? I don't remember the tune, but yeah. That's what we spend our lives doing is looking for love in all the wrong places. Okay? So we're starting to move in on the good news a little bit. And part of this good news is that God has not only hardwired our bodies to survive, but he has given our bodies a spiritual life. We are hardwired to worship something, somebody. It's human nature that we have to give our hearts wholly to someone or something. So Satan's trick is that God is not good, so you've got to give your heart wholly to yourself and be your own God. And we've all tried it, right? (laughs) 
But somehow it, we can't quite pull it off because we have that backstage view of ourselves. We know that we're not actually worthy of giving our hearts wholly to ourselves. You know, I mean, we've all tried it. We've all been tried to be the God in our own universe and kind of discovered that we sort of suck at it, right? Nod your heads. I know we've tried it. Okay, okay. So we can't try, we can't quite pull it off, but we keep trying, and there's all those sins that grow up in our lives because we're still trying to not quite trust God. And that's what puts us in Satan's tower, and that's why we are slaves to sin. A slave is an employee who doesn't get paid and who can't leave. Okay, that's our life in sin. To serve our starving, unloved egos, we have to fear. We fear all kinds of death, and we fear God because he's not good. And we have to manage our fear with all kinds of sins, and we are stuck as slaves to fear and sin. I want to choose love, but I'm stuck choosing fear because I'm afraid. I'm going to do something we haven't done for a long time. I'm going to quote from the Living Wheezy version of the Bible. <laughs> I didn't give Dennis this scripture because he can't find it online. Um, but this is from Romans 7, verses 15 to 25, and you might find it very familiar. I don't understand what I do, for I want to trust God and be loving, but I'm not. Instead, I obey my fear, even though I don't want to. Since I don't want to obey fear, I agree that living in God's love is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who acts, but fear living in me. I know that love doesn't live in my flesh. I want to trust God and love fully, but I can't. I don't obey the law of love like I want to. I just keep obeying fear. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, it's not me who's doing it. It's fear living inside me that's doing it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to love, fear is right there with me. In my inner being, I delight in God's law of love. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against God's law of love and making me a prisoner of the law of fear that's at work within me. What a wretched person I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Some of you know the answer to this. You know what is the most frequently given command in the Bible? It's in the Bible at least 365 times, depending on your translation, in various ways. Do not fear. Fear not, God says. I'm gonna, we're just going to rip through a bunch of scriptures. This is the ones that I actually gave you, Dennis. We're just going to rip through a bunch of these, uh, not all 365 of them, just four or five. Okay, we're going to start with Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Good old Isaiah. We're going to go to Isaiah 41, verse 13. I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear. 
I will help you. Those old dead people, boy, they know God. How about 1 Peter? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Or how about John 14, verse 27? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. On and on and on it goes. And what do we know about things that the Bible repeats? It's important. It's important. So what is God up to? One of our problems here is that we lack the foundation in our very souls of being the beloved. That's the foundation on which we can build and become able to love. We have to be beloved so that we can love. Satan's core lie is that God does not actually love us. How could he? I mean, there's six billion of us for crying out loud. We struggle to love eight people. That's Satan's lie. But here's the good news. Jesus saves us. And again, the Bible's full of it. We're going to start with Isaiah 61, verse 1. This is how Jesus describes what he's up to in the world. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, that's us, and release from darkness for the prisoners, those held prisoners and enslaved by fear and sin. That's what Jesus is up to. How is he going to do it? Well, here's the thing. Here's where the, the dual titles pays off. He does it because we're united to Christ. In the old days, when you were going to make a sin offering at the temple, you would bring a goat, and you lay your hand on the goat, and you pour your sins onto the goat, because you can't kill yourself, that's illegal, but somebody has to die for these sins, because they're lethal. So you put your sins on the goat, and you kill the goat. And that way, you are united to the goat, when the goat dies, your sins die, but you get to go home and eat lunch, okay? Here's the thing. This is, it's really, I know, even though we know this, it's really hard to wrap our, our spirits around this because it's so amazing. God makes us able to do the same thing with Jesus. He really does. We get to lay our hands on Jesus and put our sins on Jesus and be united to Jesus. Paul talks about being in Jesus and united to him in his death and resurrection. And that's fabulous that we are forgiven, our sins get put to death in Jesus on the cross, but it's way bigger than that. Okay? It's way bigger than that. Jesus' death and resurrection has broken the pride that rules our spirits. He has broken the fear that rules our minds and bodies. He broke it. 
He has broken the death that rules our futures. We are not just forgiven in Christ. We are united to Christ. We're united to the love that the Father has for the Son. The way God loves Jesus, we are now part of that because we're united to Jesus. We're in that loop. We're inside. We're no longer outside. In Christ, we are the beloved of God. Amen? Yeah. Jesus is the truth who breaks the lie of the enemy. He's the truth. Let's look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in this meat sack body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Until we begin to trust God's love, we're always slaves to sin and fear. A slave is always at risk of being rejected. Even a good, useful slave who knows how to do everything and is really energetic and got a great work ethic is always at risk of being rejected because a slave doesn't belong. A slave isn't inside the family. A slave is just an employee who can't go home, can't quit, doesn't get paid. Think about the terrible fear and loneliness of being a slave. In our culture, we can kind of maybe get sort of a peek at this by looking at our animals. You know, an animal could be a tool, like a cart horse. You know, you may like it, you may not. When it's used up, you get a different one. It may be a trophy, like the moose on your wall. It's nothing but just something. Or an animal can be family. Not all of you are pet people, but some of you are, and you know what I'm talking about. When you give your heart to an animal and bring them into your family, their, their status changes. I want to tell you what I call a slave story. And I'm going to say that this is happening to me because it has happened to me. And imagine that I am working for a company. I, it's a huge company. It's almost like a worldwide empire, you might say. It's Google or Coca-Cola or, you know, some gigantic company. But I don't want to use their names because the company that I'm working for is even worse than the worst stories that you've heard about the biggest companies you've ever known of. The thing is, they have me, I have to work all the time. It's not a 40-hour work week. It's a 40-hour-a-day week. Always have to work for these people. I never get time to actually enjoy my own life. The bonuses they promise are amazing. <laughs> oh, you're going to get this bonus and that bonus. You're going to go to Tahiti, da 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 But somehow the bonuses never quite materialize. They always, something goes cockeyed and you don't get your bonus, you know, you didn't quite perform well enough or whatever. And the quotas 
that you have to fill are always being raised. Every time you almost get your quota done, it's just out of reach. There's another quota. That's why you're not getting your bonus this time. Too bad. Lots of benefits in this company. Benny's out the wazoo. Just that when you need to use them, something isn't quite right in the paperwork and it doesn't materialize and the doctor isn't the right doctor and your benefits don't actually happen. And the work that you have to do is meaningless drudgery. It's the kind of thing that, you know, you've got to dig this hole and take the dirt out and put it in this other hole over here and take that dirt and put it back in this hole. And it's meaningless drudgery. It doesn't actually do anybody any good. It's just work. But it is hard. There is that about it. That's something. And my coworkers, being around my coworkers, there's a lot of backstabbing and ladder climbing and not saying good things about each other and trying to get ahead and trying to get the boss to favor somebody else instead. Yeah, I mean, it's just this constant political maneuvering and shifting around, and it's just very, very, very demoralizing. There's a lot of internal theft going on, a lot of cheating, a lot of office supplies walk out the door, that kind of company. And this company is also very destructive in the outside world. You know, their waste goes into the, the water and they're pumping stuff into the air and they are cheating people who can't protect themselves. It's very destructive, but very, very big. It appears to be almost all-powerful. But this company does have a competitor. I don't know how big the competitor is, but they're still in business. It seems like they're constantly taking a beating, but they're still in business. I keep looking around, and by golly, the competitor's still in business. And one day, somebody comes from the competitor company and offers me a place in the company. And here's the thing. The competitor, the work that they do is meaningful and beneficial. It actually accomplishes good, worthwhile things all around the world. And the co-workers are supportive, have each other's backs, team-oriented. People like Rannell over there, who wasn't paying attention for a split second. <laughs> so, of course, I leap at this job. I take the job. I'm thrilled. And by golly, it really is as good as they said it would be. Although it's kind of taken me a while to learn how to do this company because I've been working for drudge land for so long, but I love it and I'm getting the hang of it. But my old employer keeps trying to get me back, keeps coming around making threats and saying, you have a contract with me, you can't get out of it. You owe me. It tells me to, to do sabotage in this new company. It says, I have a contract I can't get out of. Well, finally, I panic, and I go to my new employer, and I say, I need to see my contract. I need to know for sure that I'm, I actually am contracted to be with you because I don't want to have to go back to my old company. And by golly, if my new company doesn't pull out the contract, and it's not a contract, it's adoption papers. That changes everything. I'm family. I can't be taken back. I'm inside. 
I'm not outside looking in. I'm inside now. I don't have to receive emails from my old employer anymore. I can slam the door in his face. Let's, let's look at John chapter 8, verses 34 and 36. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Because a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen? Are we getting this? All right, let's go to Galatians chapter 4. This is Paul. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of this world. But, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that they might receive adoption into sonship. Because you are his children, his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Daddy, Father. We're family now. Let's look at Romans 8, verse 15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. By him we cry out, Daddy, Father. This is the good news. Are you liking it? Is it good? All right. Here's a question. I know that because we still live in our meat sacks and we still struggle, sometimes we try to believe that God is good and sort of we almost get there, but we still struggle a little bit sometimes. Here's the question. If you knew in your very bones that you are the beloved of God, what would change for you? what would you find that you were able to do or able to stop doing if you knew for a fact that you were the beloved? Knowing it intellectually is wonderful. I mean, we all know it. But there's another level of knowing it deep into your very soul and spirit. How do we know that God loves us? How do we love we love because he first loves us. So I want to spend some time today doing something that we don't do very often in the middle of a sermon. And it's because we're in a crowd and it's in church and stuff. It may not be super comfortable. I'd like to walk you through this. We're going to spend some time in prayer. And if you don't want to do it right now, that's fine. Just float along with the flow and maybe do it at home when you feel comfortable in your prayer closet. But we're going to spend some time in prayer asking God to minister his love into our soul and spirit so that we can really begin to get a strong handle on our, the, being the beloved. And I want to give you some helpful tips before we start, okay? Very often when we pray, we tend to ask God a question and then start quoting scripture to him as if he doesn't know what to say. 
That's, that's based in our fear that God isn't going to show up, so we have to kind of feed him his lines, you know. You don't need to do that. God knows what he wants to say, and he is going to show up, whether you perceive him or not, right away. Another tip, the enemy is going to try to distract you, is going to tell you that God doesn't want to talk to you, or that you're just talking to yourself. There's a quick way to get around that. God mostly uses that little inner voice that we use to narrate our lives to ourselves. You know that voice? That's the same voice that God often uses. And the way you know whether it was God or just you talking to yourself or your enemy lying to you is you check the fruit. If the fruit is peace and joy, it's God. I know when I'm talking to myself, that's not the fruit of it. If the fruit is discouragement and confusion and despair, it's the enemy. If the fruit is the same old, same old, same old, it's just you talking to yourself. Okay? Does that make sense? Yeah, nod your head. Good. Okay. Sometimes when God touches our hearts, he goes so deep and so far back that we don't really perceive what he's up to right away. But the fruit of his touch will manifest itself in your life as you live along. You'll begin to say, oh, yeah, I, I really do believe him more than I ever have been able to. I really can settle into being the beloved. Okay? All right, so what we're going to do to kind of get into that space uh, is we're going to re recite the 23rd Psalm together just because we, we all know it and love it. Uh, we're using the NIV, so just recite the way you want to recite if you're more used to another version. And then after that, we're going to go into some prayer time. Okay? Are we hip? All right. Let's do the 23rd Psalm together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Live in the house of the Lord forever. Okay. Just close your eyes. If you don't really want to do this, you can just close your eyes and take a little nap. We'll wake you up again. It's all right. So just close your eyes for a moment. First thing we want to do, silently in your heart, turn over your imagination and your little inner voice to God's control. Let him use it the way he wants. Lord, we ask that first that you would give each person a place in their imagination, a safe place where they can meet with you. Whether it's a beach or a meadow 
or a comfortable bed or this chair in church. Just go to the safe place that God gives you. Invite him to join you there. And when you're ready, ask him, Lord, how do you feel about me? Receive what he gives you. Lord, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you want to tell us? Thank you, Lord. And now by your Holy Spirit, I ask that you would plant what you've given each person into their heart and soul and protect it there always. Because of Jesus, amen. That was short and sweet. A few words. If you feel like God didn't show up for you, he did. You just don't know what he was doing. So continue to ask him, Lord, show me. Okay? Don't let the devil lie you out of it. And this is a prayer you can continue to pray anytime you need a refreshing spirit, another touch from God, anytime that you are almost convinced that you're not the beloved, you can go to your safe place and ask God again, Lord, how do you feel about me? He'll always tell you. Okay? Are we all good? All right. Excellent. Okay. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. This is Paul talking. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Our flesh, our meat sack, still wants to survive. It's still hardwired to survive, and our enemy still wants us back in prison. That hasn't gone away. So anytime that you are caught in a battle with Satan and you're struggling to not believe his lies, just go back to your safe place with God and ask him to tell you the truth. He will. Especially if, part, if, if you're beginning to notice that part of the fear that you struggle with comes from something bad that happened to you a long time ago, invite God into that memory and ask him to tell you the truth. He doesn't change what happened, but by golly, he will change what it means. He will. He absolutely will. We are now family. We're inside. We are now slaves to the law of love. Remember, it's human nature that we have to give our hearts to somebody. You can't worship yourself. That doesn't work so good. So continue to give your hearts fully to God because he's good, he's all good, and him is no evil at all. Become his slave. Do it his way. Trust his love. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. 
just reminding you of stuff you forgot to laugh at the first time. This is joy stuff. We are free in Jesus. It's so much easier to obey God when we trust his love. And it's so much easier to do love when we are the beloved. Anytime you're stuck in a tough situation and you're not sure how to go about loving, that is a prayer God will answer immediately. This is me snapping my fingers. Isn't that pathetic? <laughs> you can pray anytime. Lord, how do I love in this situation right now? I don't know what to... And he'll give you an idea. He will. You may not have the right thing to say, but you'll know how to love in that situation. It might be not saying something. It might be just giving somebody an, an arm or a smile. It might be letting somebody out in traffic. Ask God. When we obey him and trust his love, our flesh becomes mastered. It begins to submit to us and to God. Our love is perfected in obedience. And when God has a rebuke to give you, because you're going off the rails, you can receive his rebuke without fear. You can take the correction. And, oh, yeah, okay. Sorry about that, God. I'll show me how to do better, and he will. Don't have to be afraid anymore. Once we are grounded and firmly established in love as our foundation, we can endure loss. The losses that life deals out. When you love somebody, there's going to be loss in that. We can deal with that loss and face that loss without fear. Just walk through the pain. We can even, this is something that a few of us are going to have to do someday, we can face death. When it's time to meet my own death, I don't have to be afraid. My body's going to be afraid because it's supposed to be, but my spirit doesn't have to be afraid because I'm the beloved of God. Okay? Also, death is something you can't screw up. You're going to do it right when you get there. <laughs> All right, one last verse. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The slaves of love are all about serving. Amen? All right. We'll get out there and serve. Okay. Lord, thank you so much for the victory that you have given us just by loving us. You are so good, Lord, and you is no evil at all. Thank you. Amen.